Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Fiona Kerr and I'm Features Director at Condé Nast Traveller. I'll be reading my piece on Sri Lanka's South Coast, which featured in Condé Nast Traveller's December 2016 issue. I hope you enjoy it. With all the buzz around the north and east opening up for the first time, Sri Lanka is hotter than ever. We skip the crowds and return instead to the classic South, which is quietly churning out a tide of hits. Shipwreck coins, say the toothless man in the faded blue baseball cap, pulling a small plastic box from his pocket as he walks towards me on the wide bastion of Gore Fort. Dutch, British, Portuguese. For an island barely the size of Ireland, Sri Lanka has been fought over more than most. And what a prize! Gems as big as fists, lush valleys rich in tea leaves and spices, rising up to Adam's Peak and its strange flat top, which, depending on your religion, is said to be a footprint of Buddha, Adam from the book of Genesis, or the Hindu god Shiva, and all on an island ringed by coconut palms that dance and dip above the glinting aquamarine Indian Ocean. Most recently, it wasn't marauding Europeans tearing the country apart, but a bitter 26-year civil war between the Sinhalese majority government and the separatist Tamil Tigers. Much has been written since the war ended in 2009, of the newly opened up parts in the north and east, of their beguiling beauty still edged with a hint of darkness. However, the south, with its astonishingly pretty beaches of honey-coloured sand, and the crumbling grandeur of the UNESCO World Heritage Site Gore Fort has been drawing visitors for decades longer. And now, a new band of passionate incomers and fresh-thinking locals are creating a renewed buzz along this stretch of coast. I first visited Gore five years ago. Quiet, dusty streets crisscrossed between the lighthouse, once white, now smudged pink after years of being wind-whipped by rose-tinted soil, and the sun and moon bastions of the fort, which overlook the cricket stadium. Today, there's a growing hum of activity along these recently paved roads. Peeling mansions have been scrubbed down and done up as smart villas to rent. There are curious new shops. Stickno bills, retro travel prints, KK collection for hand-hammered cutlery and local ceramics. And a recent expressway from the capital, Colombo, has cut travel time from four hours to 90 minutes. It's still sleepy, though. 
says Henry Fitch, who came to Sri Lanka to watch England play cricket in 2001 and moved here a few years later. He now heads up Teardrop Hotels, which opened for the Fort Bazaar Hotel in Gaul earlier in 2016. Everything winds down at about 9.30, but we're trying to change that with the hotel's restaurant, Church Street Social. Before the end of the war, people would only really eat and drink at home, but there's been a real boom in bars and restaurants all along the coast. Within the tiny fort itself, the sensational sushi at the Tuna and the Crab from star chef Darshan Mundasasa, whose Colombo restaurant has been recognised in Asia's 50 best list, and clean eating with the Sri Lankan twists at Puni's Kitchen, juices spiked with local superherd gutukola, veggie-packed thali plates. Traditional Sri Lankan cooking is having a moment too. For dinner, I meet Emily Dobbs, whose Wellagama stall at the hip Druid Street Market in London helped make hoppers, pancake-like balls filled with curry, the latest foodie trend in the UK. She's here researching new recipes in a cookbook. Sri Lankan food is so fresh. I've always loved it and never understood why no one back in London was doing it, she says. Here, the ubiquitous rice and curry is rarely as simple as it sounds. Little dishes of curries, dals and sambals colour our table and fill it from edge to edge. There are all these exciting vegetables to play with. Snake gourd, wing beans, mooli, says Dobbs. I love finding out what to do with them. I tend to go to the market and end up back at someone's house having a cooking lesson. The next morning, I wander around the mounds of produce at Gaul's Green Market with chef Anthony de Costa from the Owl and the Pussycat Hotel, another exciting arrival just east of Gaul at Talpi. The ingredients here are totally different from those in India where I'm from, he says. We find crisp, watery rose apples as delicate as their flushed appearance suggests. Sweet cubes of kithu jaggery, like a darker, coarser version of Scottish tablet. And great big clumps of bananas in a rainbow of red, green and yellow, all short and stout as fists of chubby thumbs. There are terracotta pots of buffalo curd, sealed with white paper and string, stacked waist-high on the curb. It's a favourite for breakfast, drizzled with kithu treacle. De Costa holds out a bunch of spindly green stalks dusted with minuscule white blooms. Onion flowers, he nods, as he haggles for half the bundle. They turn up at lunch as a sharp but pretty flourish on my salad, their ends finely chopped to add tangy bite to a coconut sambal. For all of Gaul's smartening up, these markets haven't changed at all. At the fish market, no more than a gathering of boats pulled up on the sand outside the fort walls. Planks of wood are laid across the hulls to display the morning's catch, which is kept cool with seawater ladled in a cut-off end of a plastic bottle. A man chops at tree-trunk-wide slices of tuna with a machete, wearing a pink plastic bag as a makeshift apron that's now splattered with fish guts. As we drive further east along the coast road, crinkled old men dressed in white short-sleeved shirts and sarongs weave rusty brown Dutch bikes between the traffic, with thick stalks of yellow king coconuts balanced over the back like panniers. A tinny, earworm version of Beethoven's Fur Elise heralds the bread truck, a glass-sided converted tuk-tuk stacked with loaves and spicy buns. Women in saris take shade under the colourful umbrellas as they stir pots of curry at the roadside stalls. Behind them, row upon row of Maldivian fish are spread out on the blue tarpaulin to dry in the sun. 
But much of the journey, the road hugs the wave-splattered rocks, passing low-key guest houses with names like Hot Tuna's Surfer's Rest and Lazy Left. Suntan travellers with sea-matted hair sit by on motorbikes. Makeshift board racks fashioned from plastic tubes hanging off one side. They chase the tides, from the perfect A-frame reef break known as the Rock to the deep smile of Welligama Bay, where the surfers resemble an army of toy soldiers on the foaming water, their arms outstretched victoriously as they glide slowly to the shore. Across the road from the Rock, girls with salted caramel tans and rash vests pull up their boards at Café Ceylon and eat juicy Lake Cogola oysters and tender sesame-crusted tuna under a canopy of passion fruit vines. Over at Welagama, the soft thrum of chilled-out beats plays at the W15 Hotel, where surf dads tuck into Arak cocktails and ceviche, watching their children build sandcastles. beauty, but also the quirkiness of everyday life, says Rob Drummond, another British transplant to the island, who, along with his yoga teacher wife, Lara Bowman, created the much-vaunted Tree, a sharply contemporary hotel on the shores of Lake Cogola. The tourist board once had this cheesy advert tagline, a land like no other, but there's a truth to that. His hotel shows off the best of Sri Lanka in a modern way, from the delicate twist of on hoppers on the menu a trio in miniature topped with quail's eggs and edible flowers, to the airy white sweets with their exteriors clad in cinnamon wood. The spice was once the real wealth of the island, worth more than its weight in gold, he said. If tree represents Sri Lanka at its most cutting edge, nearby Hapewalagama carries plenty of nostalgia for the country's history. Huge rooms are named after explorers, including Marco Polo, who in the 13th century, famously described the island as the finest of its size in the world. Afternoon tea is served in the Cape Colony Club during games of backgammon played beneath slowly whirring ceiling flans. On my last day on the island, it's Independence Day, 68 years since the British left. I go for a cycle ride inland over and past the train tracks they built. As I weave between villages and paddy fields, Green and orange national flags wave in the breeze from every brightly painted house. A peacock calls its strange mewing score across the still heat of the late morning from its perch on the electricity pylon. I stop at a roadside stall for King Coconut. When it's empty, the stallholder gestures for it back. In two strokes of his knife, he cuts it in half, nimbly whipping off a slice of its yellow husk as a spoon. What's left is the best bit, he says nodding at the translucent white flesh, and in that moment, savouring a spoonful of watery sweetness, I think he might be right. This podcast has been brought to you by the Turquoise Holiday Company, leading tour operator and winner of our Reader's Choice Award 2020. Turquoise is passionate about creating the most imaginative itineraries around 
It's travel specialists know destinations inside out. So whether it's a sensational honeymoon or a please everyone multi-generational family get-together, Turquoise will craft your own unforgettable travel story. For more details, visit www.turquoiseholidays.co.uk or call them on 01494 678 We hope you enjoyed our Escape Routes podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.